Well, good morning, good morning. Good to see you here today, church. If you are new to West Cabarrus Church, my name is Ryan Epley. I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here with us today. If you're new to church just in general, maybe you haven't been to church in years, or maybe this is your first time in church, period, we're just glad that you're here with us today to hear from God's Word and allow Him to speak to you. And so we're doing this series called God's Playlist, where we're going through several of the Psalms this summer. Today we're going to be in Psalm 19, so if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, go ahead and turn it on or open it up, turn to page, or, uh, to Psalm 19. And the reason why we're calling this series God's Playlist is because the word psalm literally means song. So this is God's playlist, this is His different songs that He put together for you and I to praise Him with, to worship Him with, with our lives, with our words. And so Psalm 19 is where we're going to be at today, but before we dive in, I just want to have a little church family moment. So if you are a partner with us in ministry and mission here at West Cabarrus, just tune in for a second. We've got some just good, good things to, to celebrate with you. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about our summer giving challenge, where we wanted us as partners in the ministry and mission to take a step of faith to give faithfully through the summer months, where there's normally a, a dip in our giving, and to take a step of faith maybe to give 1% more or just to give for the very first time in some form or fashion and to serve in that, that way, serve Christ in that way. And you guys have done fantastic with that. We're about a third of the way through it, believe it or not, because um, we're going Memorial Day to Labor Day. So you see on the screen right now, we're right about 80K, and our goal and our prayer is 250K. And we're a tick above where we would hope and pray that we would be at this time. And so thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your consistency in your giving. And I want you to know um, that as you've given and given a little bit more, than, uh, than we needed for our, our monthly budget, we've been able to do some really cool things. So we just had a team that came back from Honduras last night. And what's amazing about that is the trip was great, but several of them are here serving today, either in the AV area or on our worship team, got back last night serving the nations. Now they're in here serving our neighborhoods, which is just really cool. And because of your faithfulness to give uh, above our normal giving, We've been able to support some greater projects in Honduras. We were able, as that team was down there serving at Word of Life Camp, to do some things that they wouldn't have done or couldn't have been able to do without you guys being generous to give. So thank you for that. And then this coming up week, um, we're going to put those, those finances to good use as well as we have sports camp here at the church. And every week we just keep talking about more and more kids that are coming. So we're... Um, close to 200 people that have signed up for that event, which is incredible because we did no promotion outside um, the church besides just saying, hey, would you just invite your friends and your neighbors to take part in this? And so thank you for that. Uh, we're super excited about what God's going to do. So for those that have prayed and have given, um, we just want to say thank you this morning. So let's just celebrate God's goodness to us this morning. And let's take a moment just to pray and thank God for his grace and his goodness to us. So let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for being gracious to us, for providing for us, so that we could be a blessing to others. Lord, we desire as a church to make your saving power known in our city and around the world. And so we ask, please use us. Please use us. Provide for us, protect us, and to continue to propel us forward for your glory. And Father God, I pray for this morning, and I ask that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would revive us, 
that you would refresh us, that you would give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would rejoice our hearts and give us understanding to your word and help us to live it out this week to the glory of your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 19. We're going to read all 14 verses of it this morning. So just uh, dive in, keep your your mind focused on this. And I am not a super creative person, so what we're going to do this week like we do every week, because we're just going to literally walk through this passage. So keep your Bible open as we walk through it this morning. So let's start in verse 1. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which is, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. What's interesting is I, as I've met and talked with numerous people, I've heard something similar to this, something in the vein of this thought over and over again. But like, I just really wish God would speak to me. I really wish I could know more of who God is or what God desires for me. And what we find in this passage of Psalm 19 is that God is speaking. He is there and he is not silent. He is speaking. Over and over again in this passage, you see as God declares his glory and his goodness. And his glory and his goodness is going to shape us. It's going to shape our lives, what we think about, what we daydream about, how we live. And so I want us to see that from God's word today. And I hope it shapes our hearts to love him more and to glorify him in every area of our life. So is God speaking? Absolutely. And the first thing we see is that God is speaking through creation. Creation speaks of the glory of God. And we find this in the first six verses of this text. This is a gift that we in America often overlook. We're so fast-paced and let's be efficient and let's use our scientific minds that we miss out on the beauty of God's creation and what it's speaking to you and I. There is a lot of comfort that we should find as we look at the world around us and we look as it speaks to us about who God is and what God has done. So that sounds great, but what part of creation should we be looking at to see God's glory and to see God's greatness? The short answer is all of it. All of it. 
In verse 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens that it's talking about right there is not pearly gates and streets of gold that you walk on. Although that does declare the glory of God, no doubt. But that's not what he's talking about right there. When he talks about the heavens, that word in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament's written in, was a word that would talk about the night sky. That you would look up and you'd see all these starry hosts above, and it would cause your mind to wonder at the glory of God. He's looking up and he's saying it's declaring the glory of God. Now, it's really important that we grasp this and we understand the heavens declare not just glory, but it's a specific glory. It's not a general glory. It's the glory of what? Of God. We are not a church. Christians, we are not a people who are pantheists that believe that nature is God. That's not us. We look at the stars above and we notice them. And what they're declaring is not a general glory, but the glory of God, the creator of them all. So as we look at these stars, that's what we're supposed to see. They're not just some light in the sky that's some static sound far away. No, they are speaking a message to you and to me. They're telling us something about God, and it's that he is glorious, that he's amazing, that he is massive. And so we see at the night sky, the glory of God is revealed. But then it also says in verse 1, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. His handiwork, like his hands are in it. He's working in it. And that sky right there is talking about the daytime sky. That when the stars are, are veiled because the sun is out, we l still look up and we see the clouds and we see thunderstorms and we see the sun and we look and we're like, God, you are glorious. That is amazing. That is astounding how you made all this work together. And he wants to highlight this. King David is the one that wrote this psalm. He wants to talk about the sun and the daytime sky so much he takes verses 5 and 6 to talk about it. Which, if we're just honest, if we read verses 5 and 6, it's a little weird, right? Like you read it and you're like, you're like a bridegroom and coming out and then the sun comes up from one end and moves to the other. Like what in the world is it talking about? Well, David is speaking to the culture at that time. Because he realizes that people have started to worship the creation over the creator. People at that time would look at the sun and say, you know what? The sun helps our plants to grow. It, it, it provides for us economically because we can sell those fruits and vegetables. It allows us to work in the field when the sun is up. And so some people at that time were like, let's just worship the sun. Let's just worship that because it brings a lot of blessings into our life. And David in here is like, yeah, the sun is great. It's amazing. But it's still the creation. And how much greater is the creator who made it? So verses 5 and 6, he's talking about the sun, but it's ultimately pointing back to the glory of God who made it. And as David talks about the night sky and the day sky, he's not just saying, well, only the skies declare the glory of God. No, he's using these as a net that covers every single part of God's creation. And every part of God's creation is declaring the glory of God. From the highest tip of the mountain peak to the lowest valley, to the sand on the beach, to the waves that are crashing on the beach. All of those are telling us something about God. It's telling us about the glory of God. And I love this. This glory is ceaseless glory. Look at verse 2. It says, day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. There is not one day, 
There's not one hour, there's not one minute that we can't look at creation and see the glory of God. It's all the time. It's constantly pouring it out. And I love verses 3 and 4 because it shows us a little bit of the heartbeat of our God for all people to see this glory and to believe in him. Verse 3, it says, there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You know what that's saying? It doesn't matter if you speak Mandarin or Spanish or English. God in his creation has displayed and has spoken his glory. Not necessarily through words, but through colors and shapes, through seasons. It doesn't matter where you live or where you are, you see the glory of God in all places. And it's for all people. Verse 4, it says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Just in case you missed it, he says, hey, it goes to, to, the, to all the earth. And if you missed it, to all the world, to the end of the world. God's glory is for all people to see. Now the question for me and for you, maybe you're asking, is like, okay, what glory am I supposed to see in creation? I'm supposed to look at those stars, I'm supposed to look at the sun, I'm supposed to look at the mountains. Like, what glory am I supposed to see? What am I supposed to find out about God from his creation? Well, there's a number of things that we could highlight. A number of them. But let me just give you a couple. One, that he's creative. Our God is a creative God. And we see this all over the place. My family and I, a couple years ago, went to a Lazy Five Ranch. And if you haven't been to Lazy Five Ranch, you get in this wagon, or you can. You can stay in your car if you want to. But you get in this wagon if you want to. And you ride around and you see all these different animals. You see zebra and giraffe. You, know, you see uh, these emus that come up to the side and you get to feed them. All this kind of stuff. You see all these different animals. Well, one of the rangers was kind of giving us a tour and talking about different things. And one of the people said, well, hey, how do you tell the zebra apart? Like you've got a whole, I don't know, what a, a gaggle of zebra. I don't know what you call a bunch of zebra. A gaggle of zebra that are there. Like how do you tell them apart? Because they, they look the same. And he says, it's easy. Like each of their stripes are different. Like every one of those zebra have a different set of stripes on them. So we can walk up and see their stripe patterns and know that this is Tom, or this is Bob, or this is Sarah. Like, we can look at them and see and know those things. But I'm a big fan of Shark Week, and I watch Shark Week, and, and it's coming on in a couple weeks, so get pumped if you like Shark Week. But in there, I've, one of the things I've learned is that every shark has a different dorsal fin. Even if they're the same type of shark, a great white shark, every one of them has a different type of dorsal fin. And so they can tell them apart. They can name them because they can look at the dorsal fin and say, man, that's a different shark than that one. They can see that. They can know that. I mean, we can look at trees, and, and their leaves might be similar, but if you look at a tree, every single one of their leaves are different. They're all uniquely different. Snowflakes that fall, they're all uniquely different. Why? Why in the world would God do that? Because through his creation, he's showing us that he's creative. It's the same with you and I. I mean, if, you, if you've even looked at your hand, you're a creation of God. You look at your hand and you see your fingerprints. And your fingerprints are completely different than anyone else's fingerprints in the whole world. Even if you're an identical twin, your fingerprints are different than somebody else's. They are. 
Why? Why, God, are you making all these things uniquely different? Because he's a creative God. And he made things with a purpose. He's made you for a purpose. He's made me for a purpose. Church, he's, he's showing us that through his creation. You don't even have to look outside yourself. Just look at your hands and see, God, you are a creative God. But we also see through creation that God is a vast God. He's a huge, big God. We find that as we just look at the night sky. I mean, or look at the day sky. We can look and we can see the sun. Now, I didn't know much about this until this last week, but when you research this stuff, it just continues to blow my mind. The, the sun is 93 million miles away. 93 million miles. And so if you want to, this is a place you want to go and visit, you can uh, hop in a rocket ship and you can take a seven-month journey to get there. Seven months between us and the sun. And yet, the sun is a million times bigger than our earth. Look at that, we're like, what in the world? It's vastly bigger. The star that we revolve around is many times bigger than our planet. And then you take a zoom out, and NASA has said that the Milky Way galaxy, which we're a part of, if you wanted to take a journey across that, if you wanted to go from one side of the Milky Way to the other side of the Milky Way, it would take you 100,000 years if you were moving the speed of light, okay? The speed of light, 100,000 years to go from one side of our galaxy all the way to the other side of our galaxy. And some people look at that and they're like, what in the world? Like, why? If, if, if God, it's about our earth and how you came to save us and redeem us, then why is the galaxy so big? Because God is showing off. God, through his creation, is saying to you and me, I'm big enough. I'm big enough to handle any of your problems, any of your stresses, any of your worries. I'm grand enough to handle any of your addictions. I am a vast and mighty God. So let us not have a small view of who our God is. Let's have a grand view. We can also see the wisdom of God and how he created everything. You can look these stats up. We don't have to make these up. We can look them up and see that science has discovered how God has created the world. And it is with intentionality. God in his wisdom made our earth tilt the way it did. The axle tilt that we have, if it was any greater or any less, it would be too hot or too cold for us to exist. If the earth's crust was any thicker, then we would have too much oxygen that we could not breathe. And if it was any less, there would be so many earthquakes that we would cease to exist. God made in his wisdom all these things and he holds them all together in his might and in his power and in his wisdom. This is who our God is. We should worship him and glorify him like that. This is how big and glorious our God is. Please see it. If you don't see it through God's word, then look at God's creation and praise him for his glory. There's a physicist named Charles Minzner. You may or may not have heard of him, but he worked with Albert Einstein. And it was interesting, at one, one point he was talking about the grandeur of heaven. He was talking about the beauty of creation. And this is what he said. He said, the design of the universe is very majestic. It should not be taken for granted. In fact, I believe this is why Albert Einstein had so little use for organized religions. Although when we interacted, he struck me as basically a very religious man. Einstein must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming him. He must have looked at creation and the majesty of it and felt that the God they were talking about could not be the real thing. 
minister said, my guess is that he simply felt that the churches that he had run across didn't have a proper respect of the author of the universe. Let that settle in for a moment. This is a physicist looking at creation and saying, you Christians, your view of God is far too small for me to believe in. This is a sad indictment on us as believers. A sad indictment. And I would ask you, I've been asking myself this this week, but I would ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is your view of God worthy of who the heavens declare that he is? Is your view of God worthy of who the heavens declare that he is? Would somebody look at your life and say, we believe, or I know they believe in a big God, a massive God, one who holds all things together. Yeah, the way they live their life, the way they give, the way that they choose not to worry or complain, that really shows that they believe in a God who is big and glorious. Would somebody say that about you? Would somebody look at the stars of heaven above and say, man, this person lives like they worship that kind of God. And it's sad because people like Einstein and others are saying, nah, their view of this God is far too little for what creation is saying about God. Is your view of God worthy of who the heavens say that he is? Now there's a turning point in this passage in verse 7 where it moves from talking about God's creation speaking his glory to talking about God's word that proclaims his glory. The word of God shouts his glory. And I just want to nerd out with you a little bit on the, the original languages side of things. If you Just be patient with me. This doesn't entertain you. But verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord. Now, Speaking of God's word there, and he uses a bunch of synonyms all throughout the next few verses to talk about God's word, the word that we hold in our hands today. But it uses a different word in verse 7 than it used in verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's the word Elohim. We get that all the way back at Genesis 1-1 where God created everything. He made it all. And he's saying, hey, creation, we see the glory of this grand transcendent God. But then in verse 7, we see a picture of this imminent God, this close God, the law of the Lord. That's a different word. That's the word Yahweh, which God gives to his people to say, hey, this is the word I want you to use because you know me. I'm not just a God, I'm the God. And I want you to see my, and know my name, that I am Yahweh. See, it moves from a head knowledge to seeing the glory of God to a specific relational, experiential knowledge in knowing the Lord. And we find that through his perfect word. His perfect word. His perfect word. That's what he's saying in this moment. Now, how is God's word perfect? I would argue it's perfect in two ways. It's means, or it's mode, and it's message. It's perfect in both of those things. Now let me tell you what I mean. It means that it's a word written that we can read and interact with and meditate on. We think about these things. We, the mode that it's given to us, the means by which we have, is the best we could possibly have. Because it's spoken. We can read it. You want to hear God's word, then read it out loud. You want to hear God speak, then read it. Now, God's creation is like his non-verbals, right? We can... My wife and I have been married 14 years. We just celebrated that. And we've learned a lot of like nonverbals that we can communicate certain things with each other. Like even this last week we're at the beach. 
And while we're down there, like our nonverbals, we know. Like I'm out in the water and I'm playing with our three kids, which is nine, six, and three are their ages. So we're herding squirrels, but in an ocean with waves and a tropical storm off the coast, right? We're just having fun. Like we're doing family stuff, right? And there's certain times I can look at my wife and I'm like, I can just give her a look. Like I need help. I need help. You got to come over here. And she'll come out to help me. And then there's times that she'll look at me when she's out there with the kids and she's like, hey, it's time for us to switch, like tag, tag you're in, right? Like the, our nonverbals, we don't even have to say anything. There's nonverbals that we pick up on. And we can even do little nonverbals um, of like, what time is it? We can hold up our arm, one person's in the water, one person's on the shore, like, hey, what time is it? And tell me what time it is. We hold up our hands. Like nonverbals are not bad, but they're not perfect. Like there can be miscommunications with nonverbals. And you can only communicate so much through nonverbals. Like, if I try to communicate through nonverbals, facial expressions, things like that to my wife, that, hey, tonight, we're down at the beach now, rewind to that. Hey, tonight I want us to, to go out to dinner at this restaurant called Provision Company. And let's go there at 5.30 and let's let it just be a date between you and I and let the grandparents take care of the kids. Like, try to communicate all of that through nonverbals. Like, you're not going to get there, right? There's going to be a lot of miscommunication. But when you walk up and you can talk and explain that, you see so much more clearly. And that's what we're finding in this passage. We can look at creation and see a lot of amazing things about God. But there's a lot of things that we don't see about God until he speaks to us. We cannot understand the holiness of God by looking at creation. We cannot understand the forgiveness of God and the love of God if we only look at creation. You cannot see those things. And so God gives us his perfect words so that we can turn page after page and there's no miscommunication about who he is. We can read it and it glorifies him. It glorifies him. So it's perfect in its means, but it's also perfect in its message. All of the parts of God's scripture and the whole of God's scripture is perfect. If we try to add to it, it's a crime. If we try to alter it, it's treason. If we try to take from it, it's a felony. We can't approve on what's already perfected. You can't do it. It'd be like me looking at our beautiful lilies in our backyard and saying, man, that's not yellow enough. Let me get a piece of a paint and a paper and let's paint on there and then I'll paint the lilies a different color yellow. What? No. It'd be like taking gold that's already refined and saying, I want to refine it again. I can do it better. No, you can't. It's already purified. It's already refined. And it's the same with the word of God. That we would look at it, we can't alter it, we can't change it, we can't add to it because it's already perfect. And if we try to alter or change or fix the word of God, what we'll find is we'll create holes all through it. And this is what Thomas Jefferson did, the author of the Declaration of Independence. We celebrate it 4th of July, this coming up week, right, our independence. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and he said, hey, there's things in the Bible I don't like. And there's things that I don't want to submit to. So literally he took uh, a razor out and he took scissors out and he cut out parts of the Bible that he didn't like. You can still find it today. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And he looked at God's perfect word and he's trying to fix it. And what he did is he broke it. Broke it. But you and I can do the same kind of thing whether we realize it or not. We look at God's perfect word we might not take a razor blade out or scissors and cut pieces of, of it out of the Bible. But we all have our favorite verses that we love to think about in other parts of the Bible. We just ignore. 
we just excuse. And what we're doing is we mute the power and the greatness and the glory of God when we only look at one piece or part of it. And that's why we're going to read parts of the Old Testament, we're going to preach through parts of the New Testament, we're going to go through all of God's word because all of it proclaims the glory of God perfectly. Perfectly. And if we fall into that temptation of, of editing God's word in our lives or even tangibly like Thomas Jefferson did, we miss out on some of the grandest blessings of God's word. Look at these verses, 7 all the way down through 11. It shows us all of the different blessings we find from God's word. It says that the, the law of the Lord, it's perfect, reviving the soul. It means that there's got to be something dead there if it's being revived, right? And that word soul is your psyche. What it's talking about right here is that there's something about our identity that we do not understand apart from God's word. There's something that we don't get and we will not understand by looking at creation or trying to dive into our own hearts to say, who are we or why are we here? We're not going to find it apart from God. We won't. God's word, as we read it, it tells us who we are and who he is. And we are far more sinful than we realize and far more loved than we realize. We are. And so as we read God's word, it revitalizes our soul. It gives us our identity. Listen to me today. If you're struggling with, with identity, who I am and why I'm here, you will not truly understand that until you look to God. And here's why. Scripture tells us that we were created in the image of God. We're in his image. He made us that way. And if we try to live and figure out who we are apart from that, we will continue to be lost because we're created in his image. That's how we were created. Trying to figure out who our image is. If we don't know God, then we're never going to see who we are. We're supposed to look like him, right? God's word is reviving our souls, clarifying our identity in him. It also says that God's word is sure, making wise the simple. And what that means is that God's word offers us wisdom beyond our years. I mean, I know there's a college campus not far from here, and there are college students, maybe some of you are in this place, where you look back at your college life and you're like, man, I did a lot of stupid stuff. And here I sit 15 years later thinking, man, I hurt a lot of people. I did a lot of things that hurt myself. Like, I can't believe I did those things. And what God's word is promising us is if we come to it, not editing it or adding it or changing it, we read it and allow it to change us then we'll have a wisdom beyond our years where we won't make those same mistakes. We'll look and say, man, it's only by the grace of God and his word that I avoid that landmine. It's only by his grace. He makes wise the simple. But then he also gives us joy. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you see the, the progression that's happening here in verse 7? It, re, it revives our soul. And then it makes wise our mind. And then it rejoices our heart. There's a progress that's happening here. God's word gives us joy in our deepest fears and anxieties. And that's why he can say a couple verses later that God's word is more to be desired than, than riches, than gold, than fine gold. And it's sweeter than honey to the honeycomb. God, he looks at God's words and says, it's better than all these things because it gives us joy. This is a little, a little sidebar, but I remember years ago, there was a guy at my church who we read this verse, and he's like, man, I hate honey. Like, honey's nasty to me. And so when we would sing songs that had this verse in there, he would change honey to talk about barbecue sauce. 
He's like, I love barbecue sauce. It's sweet. It's good. And so he's like, God's word is a lot more like barbecue sauce to me than honey. But the premise is here that the sweetness of God's word is supposed to be found there because it rejoices the heart. And then in verse 8, it says that it enlightens the eyes. It enlightens the eyes. What does that mean? Well, let me say, if you, your eyes are filled with sin today, or your eyes are filled with sorrow today, you need to look to the word of God. God would look to us in, his, in our sorrows, and as we read the, the pages of Scripture, we hear the promises of God that say, I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. If you'll come to me and trust me, love me, I will wipe away every sorrow, every tear from your eye. And the same is true if your eye has been filled with looking at sin this week. God says, come to me and I will forgive you of all of your sins and I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He takes it to a whole nother level. I'll cleanse you of your sin and I'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is what God's word teaches us and shows us. So if our eyes are darkened by sorrow or sin, we have to go to God's word that is proclaiming his glory to you and I that we could find forgiveness and hope and rest. This is what the word of God is promising us and giving us today. If we listen it and we read it and we see the glory of God, it'll change us. And in verse 11, this is an extremely important verse. They're all important verses, but I want you to notice and look back at verse 11. It says, moreover, by them, your servant is warned in keeping them. And in keeping them, there is great reward. And the reason why I want us to see that is because when we keep God's word, there's blessing that's there with it. But the flip of that is true also. If we disobey God's word and we resist God's glory, there's also great punishment that comes. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the servant who lived perfectly all of God's law. He never faltered in any of these ways. And his, what he deserved, his wages should have been great reward. He perfectly lived it out. But that's not what Jesus got. What Jesus got was our great punishment that we deserve. He hung on the cross and he died because of us disobeying the Lord. Creating mutiny against the king. And so Jesus says, you know what? I will give you great reward. You will get my reward if you believe and trust in me. And I will take your curse and your guilt and your shame on the cross. And so he hung and he died there for you and me. And so when we read this verse, yes, there's great reward. Yes, there is. But only for those that look to Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. If not, if we just have great punishment. If we read God's word apart from Christ we try to be moral people, we might find some, some great guidance by keeping this, but we will find great punishment when we continue to fail over and over again. Look to Christ who took our punishment and instead gave us great reward. This is what David does. This is what David does in this passage. Do you see this? In verse 12, he, he's looking... At creation, he's like, man, creation is declaring the glory of God. And he opens up God's word and he reads it and he's like, man, our God is a glorious God. And then in verse 12, he says, wait a second. 
creation declares the glory of God and the word declares the glory of God, do I declare the glory of God? It's a question I ask you today. Does your life declare the glory of God? David, as he writes this, is like, no, I don't. Like, I see that I don't declare the glory of God. I've got sin in my life. I've got unknown sin and known sin. In verse 12, he, he says, who can discern his errors? That's a rhetorical question. Nobody can. He says, please, Lord, declare me of all my hidden faults. Like, I can't see all these different sins in my life, but I know you can. So help me to see them through your word that I would glorify you. Lord, help me. Help me with my unseen sins. And then in verse 13, he says, but I also know there are willful sins that I've done. He says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That is arrogant sins. He says, keep me back from great transgression. Transgression is I know where the line is. I know what God's word says. And I choose to do the opposite anyway. I'm going to cross that line. I'm going to break that barrier. I'm going to trespass and and, and uh, transgress the Lord's commands. And David looks at his life and he's like, I've got both. Like, what hope do I have? So he turns and he prays in verse 14. He said, God, I see my, my visible sin and also know that there's hidden sin in my life. But Lord, still, would you let the words of my mouth that's the externals of his life. And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight or pleasing in your sight. What hope does David have of living out that verse? And what hope do you and I have in living out that verse? I think it's the very end of verse 14. This is our hope. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He knows that God looks at things that are broken, including himself. And he says, I will stoop down. I won't abandon. I will stoop down and I will adopt you into my family. I will fix that which was broken in your life, the sin that you cling to. I will break those chains of addiction. I will rip free. God doesn't abandon us. He leans in. And this is where we see the greatest glory of God. Gospel of John, chapter 1, says it like this. And the Word, that's speaking of Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. What glory? The glory of Jesus Christ. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, we hear God's glory in the skies, we read it in the Scriptures, but we experience it through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And every part of Jesus' life is declaring the glory of God more clearly than anything else we've ever seen. His descension from heaven to earth, this is the glory of God. Him living the perfect life, obeying God's word, this is the glory of God. Him hanging on a cross, bearing our curse and our punishment, this is the glory of God. Him raising from the dead and defeating death and our sin, this is the glory of God. This is the pinnacle of it. And church, this is what Christ has done. And so today we get to see this beautiful picture of the glory of God as we take the Lord's Supper. As we take these, and I encourage you, grab these right now. This is a picture of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. You need to see this and understand this. This is a glorious act, a glorious work of Jesus. 
This is a picture of his body that was given for us, his perfect body, his blood that was shed for us to forgive us of our sins. Church family, this is a moment where we in our lives get to declare the glory of God. Now, the, the word of God is extremely clear about the Lord's Supper. And the word of God actually puts kind of fences around us taking this cup. And so let me just encourage you to listen to that today. And if you don't take it, then that's okay. I'd rather you be obedient to the Lord than impress your neighbor. But God's word puts a fence around this to say this is only for believers. For those that have not just looked at creation and say, mm, God's pretty good. He's glorious. Or even those that have read his word and said, you know, there are some good things that I learned about God. But instead, it's for those that have trusted in Jesus as their Redeemer. So if you have trusted in Christ as your Redeemer, this is for you today. But God's Word puts a fence around it as well to say, hey, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're holding on to sin right now, God's Word says, don't take this until you've confessed and repented of that sin. And remember what that sin cost Jesus. It cost him his life. And so what I want us to do as a church right now, no matter where you are, um, whether it's online or in this room, I would just encourage you to take a few moments to pray. Let me invite you to do a couple things depending on where you are. If you are a believer, I'm going to take this moment to confess your sins to God and say, cleanse me from these things. And I'll give you a couple categories of things to think through and confess before the Lord as I pray don't know Christ as your Redeemer, then take this moment now to pray and use this as a, just a picture. God, thank you for your body that was given. Thank you for your blood that was shed to forgive me of my sins. And know that God will save you today. And then you can take this with joy before the Lord. And so let's take a moment now and let's pray to the Lord and ask him to forgive us of our sins and save us. our sins to you today. We have delighted in our lusts more than we have delighted in you and your word. Lord, we have carelessly read and even misapplied your word in our lives, and so forgive us for that. Lord, we confess that we've held on to bitterness instead of offering forgiveness. Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. that we've given no thought or very little thought to gathering up riches in heaven. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to see past the temporal to the eternal. We confess our sins to you, Lord. But we also confess that you are our Redeemer. You're our Redeemer. You're the one that offers us your tender mercies to forgive us. And so we praise you for that now. Take the Lord's Supper in light of your glorious greatness to come and to seek and save that. 
church, let's take now the bread. Let's remember his body that was given for us. take this drink today and remember what it cost Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Let's take and remember his great sacrifice. Church family, let's stand now with a pure heart and a pure mind and let's praise Christ, our Redeemer.